having an awful week. Well, hang in there because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. As one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, I'm joined always by my co-host, my great friend, Jacob Redman. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Zach. Uh, I'm pretty sure out of the two of us that I would be the angry boy, which uh, must make you Uncle Lazy. Hundred <laughs> percent, I definitely am Uncle Lazy. And I'll go with that. Just like I, there you go. I was not expecting that, and I had a hearty laugh because we'll get to that. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed how like Iro gets insulted by this sheer shoe tamer, and he just like laughs, has a big hearty deep chuckle to that comment. So. Yeah, uh, June kind of destroys him a few different times making fun of him. And every single time, Uncle Ira's like, oh, good one, yeah, like, laughs it off. This episode, that's impressive. No, 100%. This episode, we also get the first instance of, like, old perv Ira, which is an interesting story yes. to develop. And we'll get into it definitely, especially close to the end of the episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not his best look. Definitely uh, not best know. look. Not Ang's best look either, this episode. Yeah. Whenever I think back to Uncle Iroh, I do not, uh, yeah, this is not what I, first comes to mind. This is a little disappointing to see out of him, but. Yes, yes. Yeah, Iroh, this episode, he's being an old perv. He's stealing these perfumes. Iroh just yeah. doing a lot of unsavory things here. Yeah, yeah, the shoplifting was a bit rude. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's like firebender royalty. He's got to have at least, uh, like, you know, two copper pieces to trade for this perfume, but he just shoplifts it. Maybe not. Maybe he's like, because apparently Jimi Hendrix, when he lived, he actually did not have many material possessions, nor that much wealth. So maybe Iroh's just like okay. that, where he's very accomplished. Accomplished, but does not have too much money in the bank, so to speak. All right. Well, uh, maybe that's true. Maybe he should play a little more pie show, win it from the rest of the crewmates so that he can, you know, pay these nuns off like he should. I thought that was bad. You know, stealing from pirates is mixed. Stealing from nuns has to be, uh, has to be condemned. Yeah. 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 And it's weird because he could have just asked, <laughs> like, he could have just asked, like, oh, can I have this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it was the middle of a battle and he took the opportunity. Yeah. 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 But, Probably like, not a lot of time to yeah, ask yeah, then. Yeah. Anyway, we, we can yeah, get we'll, into we'll get all into of all the of uh, ethical dilemmas of this episode yeah. later. But, yeah, how are you doing this week, Zach? I'm good. I kind of I fell asleep listening actually to Chappelle and Rob talking about the Enneagram, yeah. and that was a very yeah. interesting podcast. I think that's a I never heard of this Enneagram personality test, but I think it's a lot more comprehensive than even Myers Briggs. So I was actually yeah. doing a lot of research about that before bed. I'm actually supposed to take an Enneagram test for work, so you and I should both take one, and then we can see what we are and. Uh, discuss it if anyone's interested if not we can do it offline yeah, uh, yeah but yeah. i'd be interested to know what your personality I my, is i took mine i'm a four i'm an individualist which are usually like creative okay. types so what's funny is like i'm the least creative creative ever i guess if they, <laughs> if they want to paint me with the creative brush yeah because it's like prince yeah, okay. and like a bunch of like artsy fartsy celebrities i love prince i'm not trying to insult him but it's a lot yeah. of like artists essentially and i feel like i'm not the most artistically capable so i found it kind of funny that i was in that Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I will get back to you next week mm -hmm. with what I am. Uh, yeah. but yeah, that's cool. I, uh, I was also pretty interested in that. I had a question for you, uh, not avatar related at all. Yep. So like American Thanksgiving is, uh, coming up this week, mm -hmm. which means that, uh, you know, like the Christmas season's right around the corner. How do Canadians know when it's time for Christmas? Well, December comes basically. And just like America will always like as soon, basically as soon as Halloween ends is when everybody starts, um, 
like putting up Christmas lights and all that stuff. Like people start early, I feel like, especially okay. and the the bougier you go into like these neighborhoods in at least my area, the earlier you'll see people getting into it. And even stores are already putting in Christmas stuff. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, you know, at least respectful or not respectful, but it's like a good idea to wait until after Thanksgiving, uh, so that like it's right before December starts, so you have about a month, mm-hmm. but uh, okay, cool. Well, there you go. Yeah, now, uh, now my question's been answered. Yeah, because I was in the grocery store the other day, and this is probably riveting podcasting for people listening. But then <laughs> I saw one of those like Kinder's calendars with like the chocolate in it or whatever. I don't know if you guys have this. Oh in my gosh! It's like a wait, cr- are you talking about the Kinder eggs? Yeah, but it's like they, they so they have like their calendar. It's like a Christmas winter calendar. It's like that's a, whenever I see those in the store. Basically, that's how I know it's like oh, it's Christmas season. <laughs> like that's my wow. indicator essentially because they always pop up in the grocery store in like November. So because I saw them. Though. Yeah, the, those Kinder eggs are some of my favorite things ever. But I'm pretty sure they're illegal in the U.S. Yeah, or like something no, they're, they're, to that effect. No, Kinder eggs are illegal in the U.S., but AK-47s aren't. So one of those yeah. is too hazardous for your the, the citizens of America to <laughs> own, and it's not well, the guns, apparently. Well, Zach, if you ever come to America, you should uh, sneak some in to me because yep. those are some of my favorites. My mom used to always sneak them in when she traveled internationally. She would uh, sneak through customs with some Kinder eggs. I hope I'm not getting her in trouble. That'd be no, terrible. I, I used to eat the Kinder's eggs and throw away the shitty toy that it came with. No, the language. toys were the best the part. What are you talking about? Like the chocolate was better oh than the toys. Because No, the chocolate is good, yeah. but those toys were so like, fun. I, I like Kinder Bueno, the chocolate bar, but it's a different taste that, and we're probably really losing people here but i i, I like the kind the kinder egg just tastes like nothing no other chocolate so i really that's my yeah. like the kinder egg might be my favorite like chocolate candy taste yeah, wise yeah. out of any yeah i agree the yeah. kinder egg uh chocolate is great but those toys were so fun anyway uh <laughs> you're not here to listen to us talk about kinder eggs you're here to talk about uh, Avatar episode 15, Beto of the Water Tribe. Bato. Zach, what were your thoughts about this episode? <laughs> Beto O'Rourke of the Water Tribe. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. fair. Uh, probably, yeah, that's a uh, uh, bad pronunciation no, no, on my no, part. It's, but. it's all good. No big deal. But I, um, this episode, yeah, I don't know. We were talking about in the pre-show. Is it worse than the fortune teller? And I kind of, I want to get the, like, if, if any listeners have feedback about that, let us know. Cause I think this episode edges it out barely. And the only reason and I'll give it that is because this plot line might actually be even worse than the fortune teller but yep. I think the fight at the end plus the sheer shoe I think is a really interesting creature to introduce in the universe so I think it gives it a slight edge over the fortune teller but barely barely like it's close yeah. for me I- I, I agree that uh, the fight at the end is pretty cool, but uh, I think when we get into the episode rankings, you'll see that this episode is kind of going to get destroyed by me. I I was not a fan, but hey, uh, some of our best podcasts have been on the worst episodes, so yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. i happy podcast, to jump into this one. Yeah, last week's podcast was amazing, I thought. Like, did I agree yeah. with everything Audrey said? Not necessarily, but she was an amazing guest, and I had a fun time. Like, Fortune Teller was such, for me, that was the worst episode. It was so boring to watch watch and take notes about <laughs> but then once we recorded our podcast i was like wow we were able to really get a lot of juice out of that podcast and it was a lot of fun well hopefully we can redeem this episode with a good podcast mm-hmm. uh you know unlike this transition the episode does not start very well in my mm-hmm. opinion uh i felt like they just like happened to spring a, uh, across a sword the first thing that we see is ang running down and he sees this weird sword looks like it's made out of some sort of tooth 
and we get a flashback, and Sokka sees that uh, the sword is the same as a water tribe weapon. Uh, This seemed like a little bit out of place to me. Like, I felt like there was something missing. Like, maybe they were playing a game, or like they were searching for food, or something to lead into this. It kind of just seemed like an abrupt start. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the full whole first half of this episode, especially the Aang, I guess we'll call it the A-side story, and then we'll call Iroh mm-hmm. and Zuko the B-side. And the A-side story was just so boring. Like, I didn't really care for Bato at all. He was not a dynamic character, even compared to Aunt Wu. Like, I talked a lot of crap about Aunt Wu, but she at least, when she was on screen, she popped a little bit. Whereas Bato, yeah. on the other hand, he's a titular character of this episode. And while he's known to Sokka, and Katara, he did not pop at all. And he was just a very boring yeah. guy character. Even, and I'm skipping ahead a bit, even when he's telling his sob story and comparing his story to the wolf, I just, I wasn't invested in his story at all. And I don't know if no, you I felt to- the same. No, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I think that he was a pretty bad side character. Mm-hmm. We got almost no exposition with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he was almost like a stand-in for their dad, but then obviously they didn't want their dad to be there, so mm-hmm. they had this conflict of whether to go with the dad or not. And I felt like it felt, yeah, it fell a little bit flat. But yeah. uh, here we we pop back to Sokka, who is trying to see if there are any other traces of the water tribe around. He spots an arrow. Uh, and then he puts together this whole fight scene um, from this. He notices some scratch marks in a tree. He notices a burn mark. And he can tell exactly what's happening. This is a scene that's like almost exactly out of The Princess Bride. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I have, actually. But what's the scene in question? It's been a long time. I watched it when I was a kid. Amazing movie. I love Andre the Giant yeah. and his role yeah, there. So, so this is the scene after uh, Ningo Montoya and the Masked Man are fighting. They have that like sword fight in the dirt. Mm-hmm. And the prince walks up and he's like, ah, I can see everything that was happening. Like they jumped here and then they went here and then they went off this way. And that's like how they go track him down a bit further. It felt like this scene was like exactly that, except we hadn't seen what was happening. So I have no idea if Sokka was right or not. I assume he is. No, he is. And it's crazy. I thought Sokka's deductive reasoning here was very impressive, how he was able to immediately break down what happened. And then as he's breaking it down and he sees all the the marks and all that he's he they've come across this ship that actually a mm-hmm. water tribe ship that belonged to one of their father's fleet but it was not actually their father's ship this is interesting so these water tribe soldiers are just fighting all over the place essentially in the earth yeah. i wonder how many like ships they have like how big their fleet was yeah so i i try to count uh we get a few flashbacks from Sokka. i try to count and like uh, extrapolate a bit it kind of looks like there's maybe like 15 ships maximum, mm-hmm. uh, which means it's a pretty small group. So they must be pretty prolific at getting around and uh, going around uh, almost like mercenaries, like dropping in, helping here and then going to another front rather than fighting on one line at all times. It's kind of like an interesting uh, tactic. But yeah, like it does not seem like they have so many people that you would just like find uh, boats from their fleet all around the world because they were like all over. I think it's like instead like a pretty small group. Yeah, I guess Hakoda is like the Gerard Butler of their world and is able to like <laughs> with very few numbers just take on these huge armies and lead them yeah. to victory in a way because i just feel like yeah there's because from there's so few waterbenders especially from when we see like Sokka and katar in their village it's only like what like 15 20 people and even if you take like all the grown men and all the capable warriors like there can't possibly be that many of them and yet we always yep. we hear these stories of hakoda in battle all over the place so 
Yeah, I, I think uh, Hakoda's kind of like uh, the Gerard Butler was a great call. Like <laughs> any of those Olympus has fallen, London yeah, has fallen yeah, movies, yeah. like taking on a whole group of bad guys. I love it. That's uh-huh. a great, great call. Uh, next thing that we see is we see Uncle Iroh drinking tea. And he tries to give some to Zuko. As soon as he does, uh, there's a big shake on the the hull of the ship that shakes it, and the tea gets all over Zuko. Zuko is not phased at all. That piping hot tea got on him. Uh, this man <laughs> has composure better than I've ever seen anyone in my life. I guess I wonder, and this is, might be a headcanon on my part, but I wonder if Fire Nation or Firebenders are resistant to heat in general because mm. they must be used to yeah. it, right? And also, I felt bad for Zuku here because for once he seems to be listening to Iroh. Iroh's like, okay, yeah. take a, a moment of quiet is good for your well-being. That's what Iroh says as he sips the tea. And Zuku like agrees and is about to take a sip of tea and it's flashed <laughs> all over his face. It's so, like the one time he listens <laughs> to Iroh, he pays for it. And then, yeah, know that, yeah, continue. That, that's a good point. Uh, I feel like here, maybe, uh, Zuko just has ice in his veins or maybe he's resistant to the heat, but I was really surprised. I expected a jump or something, but, uh, nothing there. The next thing we see is a huge sheer shoe on the dock of the ship. How would you describe this animal, Zach? It's like a big, like, anteater, would you say? Or like a bad, actually like a badger almost in a way. Like it yeah. kind of looks like the badger moles that we'll see later on in the series. But the one thing it has that differentiates it from them, it has like the mole nose and it's also blind. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's an animal, I know what animal it's based off of. I should have done the research before the episode. My apologies. But like, I know the exact animal that has its weird nose. It's got like the pink, almost like tentacle nose. I don't know how else to describe it. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, definitely not a very appealing animal. I was not a huge fan of this nose, but uh, it does seem like it's got a pretty cool skill. Um, It can essentially sniff out anyone based on the smell that it has, kind of like a tracking dog, and it can paralyze people with a tongue, uh, both of which are pretty useful. Yeah, and it's pretty whipped and well-trained by its tamer, June, who we'll be introduced to in this scene. Like, it yeah. basically, later on in the episode, she'll, like, whip it, and it'll instantly get up, and she'll mount it in, like, one second. So, I guess, like, she yeah. are, like, the bloodhounds of their universe, and they're very, like, well-trained, you know what I mean? Yeah, this thing is trained very well. I looked it up, and it has the nose of a star-nosed mole. Yeah. Pretty aptly named uh, star-nosed mole. Uh, but yeah, I do think it is a combination of an anteater, a starnose mole, and a wolf, potentially, with the, like, tracking skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, cool. And it doesn't have eyes, right? The shear shoe is actually blind and sees through vision. Is that correct? Or sees through its scent of smell. Is that correct? So, I think that it has eyes. I just didn't see the eyes at all. Is it like an orca? Like, like its eyes are, like, hidden? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, it kind of looked like... So, it... Like, where it should have eyes, or maybe, like, it just, like, was... Yeah, maybe it doesn't have eyes, but it has, like, a little slit where I thought the eyes were. Mm -hmm. It just looks like the eyes are always closed, which, like, that can't possibly be right. So, I think you're right. No eyes, and it's just, like... I I don't know. That's why I'm asking, like... Yeah, the the skeleton structure... The skeleton structure looked like it has a place for eyes, but then I never saw any eyes open. So let's go with yeah. no eyes. Yeah, yeah. That's that's my guess. I, I, one one thing I like about the sheer shoe is like whenever it's tracking anything, we get its 
POV, its point of view. Mm -hmm. And we see like, it's all gray and hazy, but then it always picks up like a colorful scent for everybody. So this stowaway that happens to be on Zuko and Iroh's ship has like this green waft of scent. And then the Shishu is able to immediately sense it. And I like that. And and this animal is also able to just rip a hole in the boat. Uh, this is solid metal. That is, this boat is made of solid metal and this shirshu makes quick work of it. Like, I don't know how they think they're going to fix this ship. You're going to have to like superheat the metal, like meld it together. You're going to need a whole team of welders. Like this is an expensive, expensive way to get the stowaway. It seems like it'd be easier just like, you know, go under the ship. Yeah, and this isn't even the first time their ship got destroyed, too. And also, June is just fearless. Like, she's just tearing up this Fire Nation ship. She doesn't <laughs> care. Like, what if Iroh and Zuko just waged war on her and, like, attacked her? And yeah. she's so confident yeah, that she, she could disable them that she just doesn't care. Because that's what I thought was crazy about this scene. June just we'll walking see. in with no fear. Yeah, well, see, I thought that uh, the reason why she was not worried is because it's Zuko. And so, like, yeah, it's a Fire Nation ship, but it doesn't have, like, the full weight of the Fire Nation a part of it. That's true. But she doesn't know that this isn't, like, Admiral Zhao's ship. Like, this easily could be an important person's ship, but she does not care. She goes on the boat. She's ready to find the fugitive and collect a few coins uh, by taking this person to jail. Anyway, uh, that's a bold move from June. It's a pretty, pretty badass entrance to just walk up and be like, oh, by the way, I'm going to rip a hole in your boat, take a fugitive and then peace out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Iroh seems very impressed by all of this and more on that uh, later. Yes. <laughs> he he is uh, quite impressed yes. by her. Impressed, uh, infatuated, a lot of, lot of descriptive words we could use here. So then To we'll, be fair, I'm impressed too. Uh, no, no, yeah. If, she's if anyone's keeping track. Yeah, and, and one thing, I'll actually I'll stop down here. I want to say, this is what Avatar does really well. They introduce numerous badass female characters in particular. Mm, yeah. Because especially in this era of television, like this aired 2005, I felt like there were not too many. Like, yeah, there was Kim Possible and stuff. There was a couple, but there was not too many shows where like consistent um, female badasses left and right. You know what I mean? Kim Possible, you just had like her and Shigo. This show, we got Suki, yep. Katara, June, like even the side characters may ty lee like so many of yeah. these women are just so powerful and yeah I, I just i like that about avatar like it's not just the men who are wielding power in the show it's the women too. yeah yeah i i totally agree like mm-hmm. uh even when we get azula soon uh like she's like a complete badass yeah uh, the most powerful yeah. of them all <laughs> exactly yeah uh, uh yeah so the next thing we see is we get uh sokka later that night and he has this memory it's a flashback where he's trying to join the group uh join hakoda and the rest of the water tribe but his dad tells him, no, he has that face paint on, the same face paint that we see in the first episode. Yes, yes, I know um, so. This, this time it does seem like it might be water resistant because he cries like a baby and uh, it, it holds up to the test. That's all I got out of this scene. I'm, I'm sure that there was like a sweet moment, but I was just focused on that water resistant makeup. <laughs> I, I got something else from this scene that also okay. does not like should it, I shouldn't have gone, but I did. Like, I think the voice acting in Avatar The Last Airbender it's amazing. But mm-hmm. that being said, I kind of wish <laughs> they casted a child here instead of having yes. Sokka's normal voice actor portray the voice. Cause in this flashback, he's like eight years old or like yep. maybe younger even. He's very young and you can see or you can could hear like it's still Sokka's voice actor and it sounds way too old it kind of reminded me have you ever seen the studio ghibli movie laputa castle in the sky 
Have yeah, you seen yeah. The movie? Yeah, James Vanderbeek in the English dub is like 28 yeah. in real life. And then he's voicing like a 10 year old kid. And it kind of takes me out of it. And it, even I felt that way about this scene, but it was so small that I was like, okay, it, it wasn't a big deal. It would have been a problem that they kept flashing back to a young Sokka. It would have really taken me out of it hearing his like grown voice. You know what I mean? No, I, I think that is a very fair statement yeah. because you're totally right. Yeah. Uh, the voice here is like a little bit off. It sounds weird. Uh, and then, you know, we have like a, a sweet moment between Sokka and his dad where he says like, no, you have to stay here. Being a man is knowing where you're needed the most. And he leaves. Uh, but yeah, like I, I thought that it was a bit weird. Uh, I was more concerned about the water resistant makeup than anything. <laughs> I like how none of us care about this t- or neither of us care about this touching moment between father and son. You care about yeah, the water resistant nah. makeup. I'm just hung up on the bad voice acting. Cause it just, it sounds like him trying to sound like a nine year old kid. It doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. It just really yeah. took me out of the scene. Okay. And then the next yeah, scene. No, I, I totally yeah, agree. And then the next scene, Bato, the episode's t- titular character happens upon their camping site and then after a brief embrace they're like oh bato he's a former part of hakoda's fleet but then got injured and has to had to stop down with these nuns and he explains that he was wounded and now he just stays at this little what would you call this place is it a village is there a term for this yeah i think it's like a an abbey Abbey, i believe is the the term term. for like where a bunch of yeah yeah um so yeah i think they go to this abbey it seems like uh this bato character is not really that uh concerned that two people from the southern water tribe have made it so far away from home with no adults he's just so chill like he does not seem to care at all uh do you think like his injuries made him this way or he like always was an irresponsible adult i guess he must have they know the avatars a lot i think and hakoda must be like he must have messengers everywhere and people everywhere so maybe they already knew like katara and Sokka had embarked on this journey because mm-hmm. at this point like there's probably especially fire nation people like zuko's probably got flyers with their faces on it i bet that's fair so I, yeah. I guess like he heard it through the grapevine in a way but i did find that odd too especially i think that's odd about every time ang comes across like a new village how do people not like stare at him and gawk at him you know what i mean well well the nuns were actually uh pretty impressed the nuns were like oh my goodness the avatar like uh really excited and uh yeah bato just like did not care bato was like oh cool you know like two kids i used to know like now you're taller uh meanwhile like you have the actual avatar and two people that are like hundreds of miles from their home but oh well uh, did not make a ton of sense to me. No, I, I, I um, agree. I found it odd that his reaction was so muted. And then, like you were yeah. saying, the nuns, they express gratitude towards Aang, but then Aang quickly gets interrupted by Sokka, who's asking about the perfume, and then he delivers what might be the worst joke in television history that amuses literally no one. Do you have this joke written down, Jacob? Uh, I did not. Do you yeah. have it, Zach? Well, I, I, I can paraphrase it, but he's basically yeah. like, oh, what's that smell? Oh, it's the perfume. Well, we should dump it all on Appa because, you know, he stinks. It's like there's not even a yeah. punch. Like, <laughs> I can't even describe it as a joke, to be completely honest, because it's not yeah, see, it's a punch lie. Like, I don't understand. See, last week we had the pinnacle of comedy, uh, Aunt, 
Aunt Who, Aunt Wu this week. Uh, <laughs> terrible. See, at least like I was not as high on that joke as you were, but at least that's a joke. There's a punchline. There's a pun. I understand it. This in music note. And then Bato and Katara just like no selves. <laughs> and then Bato, this is probably Bato's best moment of the episode, in my opinion, is like, oh, you have your father's wit in the most like dry tone. Yeah. Which yeah. I it's pretty that, that was probably the best line from him. Yeah. Yeah. So then they start catching up. Uh, Sokka and Katara talking about uh, things from the tribe, mm-hmm. other stuff. Uh, they go into this little hut that uh, looks pretty uncomfortable. Uh, it's got like a fire pit in the middle where they're cooking some sea prunes. Uh, and they have a bunch of animal skins. No bed. So I think they sleep on the ground, which seems uh, pretty terrible. And Aang here remarks, oh, nothing is cozier than dead animal skills. Uh, skin, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that was a tweet, I would uh, smash that retweet button because uh, that's very relatable. Yeah, and it's it's kind of I, I forget sometimes that Ang is vegan and like does not kill and all that because he just looks as soon as he walks into this room, he notices the pelt and seems very uncomfortable right, compared yeah. to Katara and Sokka, who of course are quite nostalgic because they call, they remark like it's like their home essentially. This is these were like the huts that they lived in back in the southern South Pole, so. Yeah. And like, I get, you know, nostalgia for your childhood, but I would not be so nostalgic. I mean, you get uh, stewed sea prunes, you have a hut with nothing to lay on but an animal skin, no bed. Like, sign me up for an Earth Kingdom city any day. The Southern Water Tribe does not seem like the place I would want to be. You're right, but then honestly, though, that hut and these animal pelts are probably better than whatever camp them usually where they're camping down um, with Appa. You know what I mean? Because they were just all that's fair. Um, Bato found them on a beach, just laying down. Like that must be cold. Like I don't know. I, I I'd almost prefer sleeping on the animal pelt rather. Yeah, than but you know, on the beach. you know that Aunt Wu gave them the hookup, and they were sleeping in some nice bed with some fresh linen last week. So this has to be a downgrade. Um, and I'm sure Aang feels this way. Aang here is completely left out of the conversation. Uh, have you ever been in the situation where like you're catching up, uh, with someone and like somebody else who's like has no idea what you're talking about is there? And you can either like make the conversation clear to all the groups by like explaining everything or you can just like talk like you're among friends. Like that's such an awkward situation to be in. For me, I've, I've been the, I've been the Aang in this situation where there's like people who will be like catching up and I have like nothing to contribute. But for me, because that's a shitty situation to put somebody in, even mm-hmm. if there's somebody who like I want to catch up with, I'll always be the type of person. I'll try to incorporate everybody into the conversation and make the conversation yeah. a little more generic if I have to. That's at least better than excluding anybody. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, totally the right thing to do, but I feel like that's just so many explanatory commas. Like, you know, they're talking about things that don't make sense. They're they're talking about stories and, you know, octopus heads and spooky voices and all this stuff, and this is just stuff that, like, it's not even worth explaining. Like, I, yeah, I feel like uh, if I was Aang in this situation, I'd feel pretty left out, but if I was Katara, I'd probably do the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. And of course, like, I understand that they want to reminisce and stuff. What's rude is not them, like, talking to Bato. It's Sokka. Once again, he just straight, Aang tries to, like, chime in. And then Sokka just, like, interrupts him again. And, like, I think that's more of the issue. Just them, like, crapping all over and not even letting him speak. That's the where I think Aang takes umbrage here. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like if I'm in the Aang in this situation, this is like my worst nightmare. Just like listening to people talking about stuff. I've got no idea what they're talking about. So uh, yeah, I sympathize here. Oh. Next thing that we see is we cut to June taking on Ryu from Street Fighter in an arm <laughs> wrestle. Uh, I didn't know that we had a crossover with Street Fighter, but here we are. Yeah, we get the poor man's Ryu. Honestly, I'm going to say this. This is a trope I don't like in television, where it's a much smaller person defeating somebody much larger in an arm wrestling match. Not that it's like unrealistic or anything. I don't care. I like there was a wrestler, Chris Jericho, who said he knew a trick where he could beat any larger man in an arm wrestling match and he would do it against all the other wrestlers. Like he was six Mm -hmm. foot and he'd be beating like seven foot wrestlers. So I know it's possible for a smaller person to defeat a larger person in an arm wrestling match. I just think this is a played out trope in television. Yeah. What do you think? I, I, I totally agree. It's played out. Mm-hmm. And I think arm wrestling is all about technique yes. and not raw strength. Yeah, like yeah, once you get that. to a certain yeah. strength level, then yeah. it's like, it becomes about technique. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like, I feel like this is a bit played out. Like, they could have been doing something a bit more interesting. Like, I don't know why June has to be like some person who's like strong. Like they could be like playing darts and she could be like way more accurate. I don't know. Like something that's like a bit more fun. Cause I agree. It felt a little bit played out. Yeah. Uh, But yeah. So even if they had her like drinking at the bar and then like getting into a fight and beating somebody up, I'd almost rather have had that Mm, than like this just generic arm wrestling match in a way. Yeah. And then I I agree. And then we get Zuko shoving his way through this rough raggedy crowd. And I, (laughs) I really like the dialogue here. And honestly, it felt nice because it's been a while since we've had like, it feels like so long since we've seen Iroh and Zuko on our screens again. And I just, especially their storyline was way better than the A side here. Cause then Zuko's like out of my way filth and then i was like he means no offense i'm sure you bathe regularly (laughs) yeah such a a good line like that might be the line of the episode for me yeah i agree i think that might be the best quote of the episode because uh yeah if someone called me filthy i would not really care if someone was gonna say like oh no i'm sure you bathe like it's it's (laughs) like Uncle Iroh's like, you know, getting uh, each individual point, but missing the bigger picture 100%. that Zuko's just being mean. But yeah, so then they, they roll up to June uh, and uh, Zuko's like trying to convince her that uh, he needs her help. And uh, this is when June says the line, oh, hi, angry boy and Uncle Lazy. Yeah, I just... Two of us right here. Yeah, (laughs) I I said Iroh might have the line of the episode, but maybe I spoke a second too soon because this is hilarious. (laughs) And like, it's funny seeing the juxtaposition between Zuko and Iroh's responses to this because, excuse me, Zuko is just like, seems appalled by this comment and Iroh just laughs heartily at this. He just does not mind being called Uncle Lazy. Now that feels like a very Uncle Ira response to be like, oh yeah, I, I, I am pretty lazy. Uh, but here Zuko says that because June destroyed the boat that he has, uh, that she has to help him, that she has to track someone down, uh, and we know that it's Katara. So Zuko gives June Katara's necklace to track down. Again, June makes a little joke saying like, oh, you need me to find your girlfriend that ran away. Um, uh, which I think is like a nice little uh, quip there, but no, it, no, it, not, it, was, not a, it was a weird quip on her part because like, how would she do? It's like, oh, you want your your girlfriend ran away from you? Like, I wonder what was what June was like thinking happened with these people. Like, this woman ran away from Zuko, who was his girlfriend. Now she's like tracking down. Like, it's a weird story for her to assume happened. Almost, I, really, I just, I, I, like, I felt like that odd. was. the... I felt like that was the most likely thing. Uh, you know, like you have a girl's piece of jewelry, like, like why would you have that? Like, 
I don't know. Like it's that or like a runaway, uh, like hostage. Well, and, and I think that's what I thought you would be the natural assumption, like a runaway hostage or prisoner. Gotcha. But I mean, she might have well, just been making a joke of some sorts. It's not a big yeah. deal, honestly. Uh, so Zuko says, no, he's not interested in her. He's interested in the bald monk uh, that's with her. Uncle Iroh says that we'll pay your weight in gold if we find uh, the boy. And the woman gets in his face and says, uh, make it your weight and we have a deal. That is a sick burn uh, on Uncle Iroh. But Uncle Iroh just laughs it right off. Took it right on the chin. That's good bargaining, too, because she's probably like doubling her gold there. If we're to assume she's like... <laughs> Whoa. Well, I mean, no, she she looks like a pretty slender woman in Iroh. Like, I think he would admit this. He's kind of a portly chap. He's a yeah. larger fellow. And I say this, I'm not in the best shape myself, so I'm not judging. No body shaming on my part here. But I'm just saying it's a good bargaining tactic. Like, she's almost double the gold that she would get yeah uh definitely true i feel like yeah i i did not realize that this is such a shrewd business move on june's part yeah. i thought maybe it was just a good sick burn but i respect it now more knowing that she's just trying to increase her payday yeah i thought it was a very intelligent on her part and then so yeah. they get the necklace he gives zuko gives her the necklace and she puts it in front of the sheer shoe and the sheer shoe this is what's so horrifying about it like as soon as you send the sheer shoe on like a mission to track something it goes like wild it starts like snarling and salivating just like smelling the necklace i feel like i'd be yeah. i know it's a well-trained animal but i'd be concerned it's like killing it's gonna kill whoever they end up hunting down and just be too aggressive well, it definitely will paralyze whoever it gets. It, you know, sends that tongue and it like essentially shocks the body into not moving. It's some pretty strong stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think that I would be worried for anyone's safety who the sheer shoe starts to attack. Uh, we see the Katara scent is purple. What scent do you think that you would have, Zach? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I've never been like one of those people. Like I'm not apparently I think Pharrell was somebody who said he like sees people's auras and can see their color, their co the color of their auras. I'm not one mm -hmm. of those types. I don't know. I, that's a very tough question for me. I guess blue. I'd be like a calm, like neutral color, I guess. What about you? Yeah, I I don't know. I'm trying to think about my smell. I feel like my smell is like. Maybe like a, a light red. Um, that would be my guess. I'd, I'd be a, a swamp green like Shrek. A swamp green. Yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a pretty disgusting smell. No offense. <laughs> no, uh, no. I know I, you're in Canada, but I'm pretty sure I can smell you from here. <laughs> if, you're, if you're swamp green, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but to be honest, I don't know. I guess I'd probably be like yeah. a blue, something like a neutral. I don't think I'd be a red because I feel like red implies aggression. You know what I mean? I don't, I hope I don't have an aggressive smell. Um, that would be bad. I, I feel like a light red is like not super aggressive, but hmm. yeah, Th this is going nowhere. This is, uh, <laughs> this is getting yeah. weird fast. So, uh, what we see is, uh, we go back to Katara and Sokka. Um, there's a message that's going to be coming soon. And this message is going to have the location of their father. Uh, and so Katara and Sokka get really optimistic that they can see him. Uh, they're super excited. They want to see their dad. And so Aang, immediately upon hearing that, decides to dip. He gets really disappointed and leaves. And he's not there to hear that they say, oh, no, we love to see him, but we can't. We have to take Aang to the North Pole. I so now Aang has incomplete information 
and is just feeling a little disappointed. Yeah, and I found this very odd, and it's like almost inconsistent with Aang's character, because Aang Mm -hmm. knows how much Sokka and Kyotaro love their father and how much they would want to meet up with him. And I'm surprised this makes Aang so morose and almost angry in a way that like, oh, they want to meet up with their father, but they're abandoning me. Like, I don't understand why Aang took offense to them wanting to meet their father. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I completely agree, Zach. Uh, like, Aang's in no hurry to get to the North Pole. They spend yeah. days doing things that have nothing to do yeah. with getting to the North Pole. Like, they went to the Southern Air Temple to try to check on Aang's family. They were dead. At least this is going to be more successful. Like, they at least will get to see someone who's alive. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but... No, it's true. It's true. And I just, I found this very odd on Aang's part. Like, you'd think, from what we've seen of Aang's character in episodes prior, that Aang would be receptive to the idea of Sokka and Katara meeting up with Hakoda. And on, sure. on the flip side, I thought this was a very good look for both Sokka and Katara, showcasing extreme maturity on their part. Like, of course, they mm-hmm. would love nothing to meet more than to meet their father again after two years of him being away. But they know that it's their duty to get Ang to the North Pole. So big yeah. ups to those two. Like I respect what they did in this scene. Well, Ang uh, feeling a little bit dejected and betrayed goes back to the water tribe ship and sits up there dramatically. Uh, just then we see an ostrich horse roll up with an earth kingdom warrior. And he says he has a message uh, and he gives the message to Ang instead of actually tracking down the intended receiver I have a question, Zach. How on earth do these people uh, get any mail delivered? They give it away to someone who has no evidence they know the sender. Like, I really hope that they don't have mail-in ballots because those things are getting lost. <laughs> and this is, like, instance number 100 of somebody, like, running into Ang, this, like, bald man with tattoos all over his body and not even, like, <laughs> reacting to it. And, like, um, we don't need to stop down and talk about that every time it happens, but it happens so much. Like, this guy should be like, oh, what are you? What kind of, who are you? Are you a, like, this person should be having a bigger reaction to seeing this bald man with with the arrow tattoo on his head. Yeah. Well, he says he has a message for Bato. The the kid says, oh, yeah, I know him. And then he gets the message. I just have to think, if this is the way that the Earth Kingdom delivers mail, no wonder the Fire Nation is able to take over. This is some terrible bureaucracy. I was really disappointed. Uh, you know, they have a badass ostrich horse. That <laughs> ostrich horse looks awesome. Uh, but the mail delivery system has to be one of the worst things we've seen yet. Yeah, and then Aang gets this this um, map with their rendezvous point and immediately crumples it up. And again, I, I just I didn't understand why Aang was so against Katara and Sokka meeting their father. And I think this yep. might, if because of this like inconsistency, I think this might be. I don't know if this is the worst episode we've seen, but it's the worst written episode for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, I thought the plot was just very convoluted here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel like Aang doesn't have the motivations that he usually has. It mm-hmm. goes against the character that yes. we know him to be in the first 14 episodes. And then, you know, the titular character is boring. We yes. have almost <laughs> no backstory. There's, like, really nothing going on there. So, yeah, I found this episode, you know, just a bit disappointing. But uh, Aang is, uh, comes back in from having this letter. And he is, like, ecstatic. Uh, he's, like, the most suspicious person of all time when he comes back in. It's so clear that he's hiding something. Aunt Wu did not rub off on her lying skills one bit for Aang. 
Yeah, and then Ank, he's yeah, he strolls back in. He's acting very unnatural. Then he goes, he's like, oh, these sea prunes, delicious sea prunes. I love them. And he starts chowing down on the sea prunes. And I like the facial expressions that the animators mm-hmm. use here. Because he immediately, like, he's eating it and he just gags instantly. <laughs> and yeah, so I agree with you. He's just acting very unnatural. It's so obvious. And yet, he's like, oh, did you guys notice I was gone? And it's like, no, we didn't even notice you left. That's what Katara says. Uh, right. Like, uh, he could have had a way better story, but... Here we are. He could have just uh, came next back thing we see, said nothing. Oh, sorry, go oh, on. He could just came back in and said nothing. To be honest, like, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. they, then it would have been fine. But continue, continue what you're. Uh, yeah. So the next thing we see is this old woman that Aang tried to get the uh, healing from after the storm episode, where he got the advice that they need some uh, frozen frogs. Mm-hmm. If you would have told me uh, to bet a few weeks ago if we ever see that woman again, I would have said no. And I've seen this series many, many times. Uh, but I had no recollection of this. Same, same. Uh, did you remember this either, Zach? No, no, no. I did not yeah. remember the herbalist woman reappearing here. And honestly, that's because for me, it's like season two and season three, I rewatched so much. And I've talked about this. Like, I rewatched mm-hmm. so much. Where season one, I've only rewatched a handful of times. And that's why I really like this exercise we're doing, rewatching all yeah. these season one episodes. Because for me, it's like, I'm almost like seeing these, these scenes, especially again for the first time, almost in a way. Because like, I remembered the plot of this episode and the sheer shoe stuff, but I completely forgot. This herbalist woman reappears. And to her credit, she's not even, like, intimidated by the Shirshu. You know what I mean? She's no. like, what do you guys want with my Miyuki? Like, her cat. She's ready to, like, put her life on the line, defend her cat here. So, I gained yeah. a newfound respect, actually, for this old herbalist woman. Yeah, I, I agree. She says, Miyuki, did you get in trouble with the Fire Nation again? And I was thinking to myself, what could this cat have done uh, to get under the Fire Nation's skin? I was trying to think of different things that the cat could have done. Maybe uh, like it scratched up some ships, left a hole bigger than the shear shoe did, uh, <laughs> potentially. Uh, yeah, maybe like Admiral Zhao has an allergy to cats, and so getting near him caused him to sneeze too much. But no matter what, Miyuki's a hero if... Uh, the cat is causing trouble to the Fire Nation. I, oh, and one thing I thought was very odd about this scene. Now, do Aang and Katara have the same scent? Because I'm confused as to how the Sheer Shoe was able to lead them to the herbalist with yes. Katara's scent. Because Aang is the only person who met with this herbalist. Unless the necklace just also has Aang's scent, which is weird. You know what I mean? Yes, uh, I agree, because we see that Katara has the purple scent, and Aang's scent is different. Uh, we see that Aang holding that piece of paper has a distinct scent from the one that Katara has. It's more of a bluish one. Uh, so yeah, I actually, I agree. I think that this is kind of a goof here, because there's no way that uh, that the Shirshu would have been able to know that the uh yeah that katara had gone to this herbalist so yeah good good pointing that out for sure yeah and it's 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 a weird thing because they could have just not shown this scene and then just had them showing up to aunt Wu's place which Mm -hmm. they will in a couple of scenes from now which makes sense because obviously katara was there whereas she just never never went to this she never met up with this herbalist so i just found that odd and i think that's another like the writing in this episode is inconsistent like this is the first episode i think there's actually glaring plot holes Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that is an interesting thing that you point out. Mm-hmm. Well, the next day we see that Aang and the rest of the group are walking up to the Water Tribe ship. And what do you know? The ostrich horse has still left a few different uh, tracks in the sand. Aang trying to hide them, airbends them away. 
And I feel like this was not the best move uh, because, yeah, I think that you could just make up a story or like it could just be any ostrich horse. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be one that's like delivering a message, but the act of airbending seemed very odd. I mean, he he kind of does it when they're like not paying attention, and then just like just go like he he airbends. He's like do 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 like and like whistles yeah. as if not, he didn't do anything. So I guess he was trying to casually do that. I agree with you, but at the same time, it's like the ostrich horse. Like Bato probably knows that it would be a messenger on an ostrich horse. Like I don't know how many wild mm. ostrich horses there are running around on these beaches. So I kind of I understood why Ang did this, but yeah. I also I don't okay. understand why he crumpled this up in the first place. That's my issue with it. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, so I think the, you've, I think you convinced me on the yeah. the airbending the tracks away. Uh but we learn here that Sokka never got to go ice dodging with his father. Uh apparently it's a water tribe ritual that whenever you turn 14 your father takes you on a boat and you go ice dodging in the Southern Water Tribe. Uh, this ritual seems a bit dangerous. Uh, like, I kind of wonder what the survival rate is. Uh, like, it seems a little bit uh, costly, I guess, if you're going to have people potentially drowning in the water because yeah. they are not successful. I thought the same thing. And they're all 14 when they're doing this, unless they're yeah. all such power, like amazing navigators, which I don't know. I feel like you'd have to have a Katara on every ship just in mm, case, yeah. just to water bend exactly. them out of danger. And I don't even know if they have that many water benders. So yeah, I agree with you. I thought this is very yeah. dangerous and very odd too. It's like a weird rite of passage. Yeah, I feel like most rites of passage are like parties or like uh, like milestones, like, oh, you completed this grade or like you got a diploma. But ice dodging seems like a very dangerous ritual, but I guess uh, that's just how they do it on the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so do, do we cut back to Aunt Wu? Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, okay, we yeah. can do the little cut back. So yeah, there yeah. is a bit of whiplash here as yes, they cut yeah, between yeah. two different storylines. I believe the term is cross-cutting, if cross -cutting, I'm uh, okay. using that correct. So but, we get a little yeah. cross-cut here. The sheer shoe has led them to Aunt Wu's village. And same thing here. Like, if you bet me last week that uh, we'd see Aunt Wu again, I would have said no, not knowing that she reappears <laughs> in this episode, to be completely honest. but Yeah, that... The okay, Aunt Wu one I kind of rem remembered, uh, just because I remember that Uncle Iroh and Aunt Wu have a little bit of chemistry. Like, I know last week we talked about Zuko and Katara, or Katara and Aang, but I think the ship that matters is Uncle Iroh and Aunt Wu. Yeah, like, they already have the names to go together, both, like, one's an uncle, one's an aunt. Yeah, and Aunt Wu's a little flirtatious. She's like, oh, yeah. do you want to know your fortune, handsome? And I love Iroh's line here, and I wrote it down just to, I didn't want to paraphrase this, because he was like, at my age, there's only one big surprise left, and I just as soon leave it a mystery. <laughs> Which I thought was a very colorful and artful way of saying that he doesn't want to know when he's going to die. So I just love yep. the prose that he delivered the line with. Yeah, but I feel like, you know, Uncle Iroh has uh, some things that he could find out, like, where's his white lotus tile? Uh, like, is he going to win the game of Pi Show? Like, I feel like there's some low stakes things is that Uncle Iroh yeah. can can get out. Is his next yeah, cup of tea going to be good? No, you're right. Like, he could have exactly, got some low stakes exactly. fortunes told. That's true. <laughs> and, and I feel like Aunt Wu and uh, Uncle Iroh would get along. You know, Aunt Wu is like, uh, she seems like she's got a good control of things. Uh, she seems like lots of things are in order. And it would leave Uncle Iroh life to just sit back, chill, and drink some tea. So I really do think that this is the, this is the group that needs to be together. This is the ship that I'm here for. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's not really much else to glean from this scene. Obviously, like the sheer shoe is able to track like Katara yes, sent yeah. to this village. We know that because we saw that all in last episode. Not much else really happens here. So we cross cut back to Sokka, Katara and Aang. They're all on this ice dodging ritual, but instead they're going to do it rock dodging instead because mm-hmm. obviously they're not in the South Pole anymore. Yep. Sokka here gives a ton of instructions and I honestly have no idea a single thing he said. Uh, I've never like had to, you know, do anything on a sailboat. Uh, I've been on a few boats, but not had to like command them or do anything as fancy as this, but I was lost in the sauce. I had no idea what he was talking about. He looked like it was successful. So I guess, uh, you know, job well done, but you could have fooled me. I have no idea what they were saying. Yeah. Unlike Gucci, man, I too was lost in the sauce here because <laughs> like I know port and starboard and all that, but I just see yeah, it. Even like, I feel like Sokka didn't even explain it to Ang and Katara prior to doing it. Cause then Ang also has, I'm surprised they like, survive this or like don't crash mm-hmm. because Sokka gives Aang an instruction and then Aang is like I have no idea what you just said <laughs> oh uh, man that's exactly what I would uh, do because like uh, yeah I have no idea like maybe Katara knows because she's from the water tribe so she's done this before mm-hmm. but Aang's been in an iceberg for a hundred years and this boy can fly there is not a chance that he knows what they're talking yeah. about and it is shocking they survived yeah, even s- still I'm oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, you know, I think we skipped ahead a little bit here because then Bato gives them all the positions. So he tells Ang yes. his position. I feel like I should bring this up because he says Ang's position is about trust. And Ang takes like offense to this a little bit. And I like how Ang has like 10, in te- he has like 10 different facial expressions in 10 seconds. He's like, what do you mean? Oh, I'm, I'm trustworthy. I know about trust. Why you think I don't trust you? <laughs> I, I, I like yeah. like the animation here in particular. Like, yeah, Aang has a guilty conscience for sure. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah, see it yeah. break in a bit. But uh. Sokka, they get through the rocks. And then instead of uh, going back, there's like a big rock in the way. And Sokka has a, the, a pretty good idea to bend enough water under the boat so you get the height uh, to go over the rock. It seems unnecessary. Like this seems like a move just for style points. Like I feel like if this was like being judged by someone, it's like functionality is like a zero, styles a ten. But yeah, no, you're right because Bato says they already passed the test, and even he looks a little bit concerned when Sokka attempts to get through this because not just one big rock, it's like a bunch. It's like a huge rock passage, and there's mm-hmm. no not even any space for a boat to traverse between. But he gets um, Katara to bend the water underneath the boat, and Ang to air bend a bunch of air behind the sail to provide them with momentum and like while this was smart on Sokka's part I also thought this was kind of common sense to be honest like I feel like I, I think I would have came to this conclusion like I thought Sokka's actually his instructions like earlier with like the less dangerous rocks were like more was a better example of his leadership ability than this because I felt like of course like this that's the only solution you could do it's like bend as much water as you can underneath these rocks because there was yeah. no other way to get around it essentially yeah as I said this is just a stunt on the water yeah. uh I don't know why he has such a rival rivalry with the rocks, but he's just showing him that he's the boss. He knows how to get around him. There's nothing he can do. And for that, uh, he's awarded the wise. He gets a nice little thing on his head to say that, you know, uh, he's the wise one. Katara gets bravery and Aang is the trusted. And this is Aang's breaking point. He is not able to lie any longer. Uh, he has a guilty conscience and he confesses that he stole a map 
Sokka blows up on him, which is not the reaction I expected. Um, yeah, I guess what, what was your take on Sokka's reaction? Yeah, I found that a little surprising too. I expected him to be like angry, but then like did them for, for them to hash it out in the moment almost. But instead, <laughs> Sokka's like, nope. There's no reason he's like, he storms off and he's like, we're done with you, Aang, essentially. And then yeah. he asks Katara if she's with him. Katara has a brief pause, but she ultimately acquiesces to Sokka. And I thought this was interesting because it seemed like the first time that Sokka and Katara are really on the same page. Because prior mm-hmm. to this, we always see them having like differing opinions and all that. Whereas this is the first time like they're 100% on the exact same page here. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, in my opinion. Like, Aang maybe wasted, like, eight hours. Like, they probably weren't going to go that night. They were probably going to leave in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, like, it seems like Katara wasted multiple days getting her fortunes told. So, like, you know, wasting this one day doesn't seem like that big of a deal. So, I don't know. I feel like this was a bad reaction from Sokka and Katara. Maybe a little bit of grace would have been better. Uh, but no avail. Um, not only that... But it looks like uh, Aang also gets kicked out of the Abbey because once he gets back, the nuns are like, yeah, you better go. And I don't understand. Like, why couldn't he stay there uh, if he wanted to? Yeah, I don't understand either. I guess what it is, it's like they took such like the fact that Aang did what he did. Like it just nobody was happy with it. Essentially, they all just thought it was a very despicable act on his part, which I thought it was a bad look. But I agree with you. Like, I don't think Sokka and Katara and even these nuns at the Abbey, like, why do they care? I don't understand, but they do. I just felt like this. That's the this the plot line in this episode just kind of lost me, honestly. Yeah. Like I was very. It's actually. Oh, continue. It's actually kind of clutch that uh, he gets kicked out because Aang leaves right as the Shearshu arrives, um, tracking Katara. But if he would have found Aang and gotten Aang uh, like a little bit, uh, I guess, like off of his toes or like unexpected, then I think that Aang uh, might have been down for the count against the Shearshu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if the Shearshu is able to land a single hit on him. Because yep. besides Appa, like all oh, the Shearshu just essentially needs one tongue lash on you and you're done. You're down for the yeah. count. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next thing that we hear is, uh, or we see Katara, Sokka, and uh, Bato, Bato yeah. all walking around. They're trying to find Hakoda and they hear a wolf howling. Um, Sokka thinks the wolf is hurt, but instead, uh, the wolf is actually sad because it was left behind. This seems like it's a lot of anthropomorphizing and a bit of a guess. Uh, like, what percent chance do you think it is that this is a correct conclusion? Like, I think it's like less than 20% chance that the wolf's not actually hurt. Yeah, I have no idea how Bato was able to glean all of this from the wolf's howl, though, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, he's able to, like, he's like, oh, I know that how it's exactly how I feel inside. <laughs> like, I thought yeah. that was just an interesting way because I, I feel like, I don't know, I wouldn't be able to put that much meaning to a singular howl by a wolf. Yeah, I feel like Bato is just reading into this a lot. Uh, I have some friends that have done this before, like they have an, a dog and then like the dog will say something and it's like, oh, like the dog thinks this. And I'm like, I'm not sure the dog thinks that I think you do. Like at one point, like uh, I was like being loud, apparently. And my friend was like, oh, the dog thinks you're being too loud. And I was like, if you think I'm being too loud, just tell me. But there's no way this dog cares. And there's no way you can tell. Like we're, you're just lying to me here. Just be upfront. Tell me I'm being loud. That I respect friend it. Might just was in that moment, which is 
being an a-hole because <laughs> there's no way yeah. the doll, like, i thought you were gonna say like oh the, uh, i don't i don't know where you're going with that but the fact that your friend is like oh the dog thinks you're being <laughs> that's, that's yeah like, on I, the nose like i'm surprised well, that your friend i was uh, i was that. being loud and I, uh i was clinking glasses and i think that's what was oh, uh, making the dog come over and my friend was like oh yeah the dog thinks that you're being too loud and i was like whatever this is you're just lying Do- and i feel like if i was katara and Bacho's like, oh yeah, like this wolf is just sad. I would just be like, you, you're like, no, you're wrong. Like, uh, nope. Yeah. Try and, then, again. And, and then what did you feel about Bato's sob story where he's like how being apart from the water tribe was more, even more painful than his wounds and how he can relate to this. I'm just, I'll be honest. I was like, for me, I was like, blah, blah, blah. I didn't give a hoot about <laughs> any of this. Like, I don't know. Cause they, they don't provide enough of like a back, like they don't make you care about Bato enough earlier to this so when you do get this like sad sob story just yeah. like, i didn't care even if honestly if Aunt Wu had a story like this at episode prior i would have cared more about that and again, no, I, I agree like, crapped all over Aunt Wu last episode so well because like let's let's think about this zach so Bato got hurt a few days ago when they fought right the the marks in the tree the cuts in the ground like all these things are recent enough like let's say it's been a week maximum like Bato feels that sad that he was left behind for a week that he has this emotional turmoil. Like, imagine if he had childhood trauma. It would take therapists decades to get that out of him. Yeah, I, I, I actually didn't know if it was a week or longer. Like, but even, again, even if it was like a year, it's not longer than two years regardless. And even if it was wow. a year, still, like, I I don't understand how, he, like, he could hold all these reservations for so long. And I'm like, yeah. you know what? Like, even if he, I, I, I kind of get it at the same time, but it's like, again, I just didn't care if I'm being honest. Like, I can see, like, if I was in this position, would I feel longing to rejoin my fellow warriors? Sure, sure. But I just i don't know they didn't provide enough of a backstory for Hako, um for bato earlier and especially i found that odd because he's the titular character but this episode really isn't like necessarily about him in a way mm-hmm. like it's not almost like i don't know i, I found that kind of odd i was almost expecting more from him just because of the yeah. episode title yeah no i agree uh but somehow uh they're able to convince uh Sokka and katara that they need to go back and they can't uh they can't betray ang or they can't leave ang alone and i don't understand what makes them want to circle back maybe it's just because like bato seems so pathetic they're like i'm not trying to be with this guy like ang is way more fun ang goes on fun missions like rides on different animals bato's just sad I thought the same uh, but, thing. I thought this was a weird like response, like for Sokka to hear this story from Bato and be like, you know what? We need to go help Aang. But I guess what it probably is, it's like they're compar- they're comparing um Bato to Aang. So it's like, oh, they don't want to mm-hmm. leave Aang the way Hakoda and Ko left Bato. So that's their reasoning to go back. But I, I did find that odd as well. Well, right as they start to leave, uh, Katara and Sokka are ambushed by the sheer shoe. And as June rolls up, she, uh, she's like, Oh, so this is your girlfriend, which is uh, a nice callback to the earlier part of the episode. Yeah, and then she also says, Katara's too pretty for you. Shots yep. fired at Zuko. I don't know what he did to deserve that. <laughs> like yeah, that's fair. Like that little fair. snide remark. Like, he didn't do anything to June. They're paying her. Like, they're providing, like, so they're providing her with a, like, a payment. So I don't understand why she's got to, like, throw the insults there. Poor Zuko. Yeah. Rough episode yeah, so for him. Sokka, Sokka tries to claim that he uh, doesn't know where Aang is. 
And Zuko keeps getting more insults. Zuko says, how stupid do you think that I am? And Sokka hits him back with a pretty stupid, uh, which like, that's a pretty good response. It uh, is a good response too. Yeah. And uh, another burn from him. Yeah. And then, so they capture Katara and Sokka here. The Shishu is able to quickly lash both of them. They tie them up and they roll back, back to the Abbey. And then. Wait. Wait, I realized that you said that you would have a light blue smell, and that's the smell of the Avatar. Are you, do you just think you're the Avatar, Zach? <laughs> no, not necessarily. I was just trying to think of, like, what's a calm, colorful mm-hmm. scent? Like, I honestly... and I see you. Because no... <laughs> nah, nah, I'm not... I'm, I'm just not joking. Not no, I know. But it's like, I was trying to think, like, what's the most, like, calm, colorful... I don't know what color... What, like, what does yellow mean when it comes to, like, these auras and these smells? Like, I don't understand. Like, I need to do more research on all of that because I don't yeah. know what each color, like, entails in a way when it comes to these scents and auras and all that. You know what I mean? That's fair. It, it almost escaped me, but I know that you think you're the Avatar. <laughs> I, I see you. Sure, I see sure, you. sure. You caught uh, me. You caught yeah. me. Yeah. So then they go back to the abbey right again, and the sheer shoe starts seeing that the uh, scent is going up in the air. Uh, the sheer shoe like looks up there, and we see Aang uh, fly on down. Um, when Aang flies down, um, June like quickly gets off her sheer shoe and atta- tries to attack Aang. And this is when Appa straight up bodies this thing, like just a full on T bone tackle, like. Great knockout. Very impressive from yeah, Appa here. Yeah, Appa's able, because the sheer shoe charges at Aang when he lands, and Appa's mm-hmm. basically able to, like, tackle the sheer shoe at the one-yard line here. Yeah. And he just crushes into it in the nick of time. And, like, of course, Appa just, we haven't seen too much of him in this episode, but again, in this battle, he very much, he's a big part of this. Like, he puts it, yep. he bedules the sheer shoe to, essentially to a stalemate, honestly, which is very yeah. impressive on his part. Like, he takes, like, four tongue lashes. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. He takes four tongue lashes, able to, like, keep pushing through. Like, that's crazy from Appa here. Yeah, I, I agree. Then we get a pretty classic fight between Zuko and Aang. I really enjoyed this. It was like a classic fire versus air fight where the fire is being aggressive, trying to go after Aang over and over. And uh, Aang is just like whipping the air away, getting free. And then eventually they come, they both attack each other at the same time. And somehow fire plus air equals explosion. They're both uh, <laughs> They're both thrown back. Yeah, I didn't understand how it ex- equaled explosion at well as well, but then they yeah they able they're able to clash to a stalemate. Here. Yeah, and then Appa, the, the physics yeah. here made no sense, but yeah. it looked pretty cool. Yeah, and then this is where like Appa battles the sheer shoe. He gets lashed, and it briefly incapacitates him. But a little sheer shoe toxin isn't going to keep Appa down, and he's no able way. to just keep on trucking forward. And then yeah. Oh, continue. Yeah, but Appa starts like destroying this abbey, like using uh, airbending attacks to just like wreck the walls. Like, I, I don't know, like, let's say they had like uh, 10 buildings in this abbey. Like, by the end of it, Appa's destroyed like three or four of them just trying to hit the sheer shoe, which is like pretty bad aim. Seems like you'd want to keep things intact if possible. That's true. Appa will, like, you, he'll airbend with his tail and then knock a bunch mm-hmm. of debris onto Sokka later on. Sokka's yes, like, oh, yeah. I'm starting to regain feeling and then all the debris falls onto him. And then this yep. is one thing I wanted to stop down here. So Zuko runs along the roof at Aang with like a trail of fire right behind him and then he launches it at Aang and then they battle blah 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 like a couple of things happen and then Aang uses this exact same technique. So he also 
like uh, later on in this fight, he'll have the air trailing behind mm. him. And I just thought that was so interesting from Aang. Like he's such an adaptive fighter where he, he's able to see Zuko do this firebending technique and then he's able to incorporate it to his own airbending. And I was surprised. I actually noticed this on my second watch. Like Aang utilizes the exact same technique that Zuko had used moments earlier. Yeah, that's uh that's interesting. I did not pick up on that in the fight. Yeah. yeah. Um but that's like a that's a really good thing to point out. Uh it kind of seems like uh the Taskmaster from Marvel where it like picks up on your fighting style and like uses it against you. Um but yeah, that that that's like pretty impressive uh that you picked up on that. I I did not catch it, but a good one well yeah, uh, we did like, skip over honestly, yeah we skipped over uh, a lot but honestly uh, the reason i picked up on that i'm not usually the most perceptive but this episode was so boring the first half <laughs> so, like, when the fight started it kind of like woke me up um, not that i was falling asleep but it kind of like i definitely paid more attention to the fight than i did the rest of the episode like even even yeah. more so than with like fights in other episodes because i think honestly this might have gone over my head and uh, if it was another episode but no, yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. like a pretty good classic fight. Uh, mm-hmm. We skipped over Uncle Iroh shoplifting the perfume. That's just rude. Uh, you can't be doing that. Um, the other thing that's really cool I want to make sure we talked about was Zuko and Aang fighting on the well. Um, like yes. Zuko is like throwing fire blasts through the well. And Aang is like, you know, essentially going to all six sides of this well, uh, dodging and weaving. Eventually, Zuko just takes down um, both of the, like, stabilizing pillars that are holding up the, the thing, and it falls over. It's just a well. Uh, they start fighting some more. Aang is able to get the necklace off of Zuko, jump down into the well, and then fly out of the well, blasting Zuko with water. And I thought that was a really cool sequence for a fight. Yeah, I thought this whole sequence was amazing, honestly. And I didn't remember too much about this fight. So one thing I want to talk about this well, so Zuko standing in front of it, I want to provide a little even a little more detail because it was insane mm-hmm. what Aang was able to do here. This well has four wooden pillars that are attached to a little roof above the well. There's probably, like the well's not big. There's like, I would say a foot of space at most between each pillar so it's like a four by or like four by four type now that's the area I breathe and then ang is bouncing from pillar to pillar at extremely close range and is able to dodge all of zuko's attacks in like and i was insane ang's like pulling off some matrix like neo stuff here yeah honestly yeah it was it was very impressive um yeah, yeah i thought that was like a very cool thing i'm glad we stopped down on that uh, after Aang steals that, uh, then we have Appa that tries to, uh, tries to attack, but then the Shearshu is able to keep hitting, uh, Appa again and again with this licking, like, horse tranquilizer, paralyzing agent, or whatever it is. Uh, licking has to be the most lame attack ever. Like, I know, like, Lickitung is a Pokemon, <laughs> and, like, there are other things that, like, lick to attack, but this is, like, so lame. Really? I thought this was okay, because then its tongue is, like, almost a lash, and I like how that compares to also June with her, like, whip, yeah. and then it's got, like, the tongue whip and stuff. It's not like it's just sitting there, like, lick a tongue with a big, derpy tongue. <laughs> like, the, the, I could see That's the tongue, fair. actually, like, the Shushu's tongue seemed like a formidable weapon to me, at least, compared to uh, yeah. some of the other tongue-based attacks that we see in other media. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'd like to never see another tongue-based attack again if <laughs> that's it was the, up to my choosing, but this is one of the better ones. That's fair. And then um, Soccer realizes that the sheer shoe sees with its nose, so he decides to overwhelm its olfactory senses by using this village's <laughs> perfume. And this perfume is also apparently able to nullify sheer shoe toxins, and it smells nice. Like, they must be selling this for fat stacks, you know what I mean? They must be making bank selling this perfume. Yeah, it seems like the Swiss army knives of sense for sure, yeah. because uh, the the nuns come over, they let Sokka and Katara smell it, and immediately they're able to get up and move again, which they weren't able to do otherwise. And then, yeah, it's able to trick the sheer shoe. Uh, they pour a bunch of it on the ground, Katara water bends it into a mist, and mm-hmm. then puts it all around the sheer shoe. The sheer shoe only can have uh, this scent and it becomes completely unable to see anything else. Then it starts going crazy, licking everything uh, that it can, essentially licking everything near it and uh, hitting things all over the place. It's like lashing out all over. It hits Zuko and June, knocking them both out for the count. Yeah, honestly, I felt kind of bad for the sheer shoe here. Like, it, yeah. it, like, as weird as it is, I actually sympathized with it because it just goes from like, it can't see anything, goes into a blind rage and just runs off into the forest. One spoiler alert, I think June will reunite with this sheer shoe. Like, she'll end up finding yep. it and like, we'll see sheer, her and the sheer shoe again. And then yes. once it, when it lashes at Zuko, it, it knocks Zuko out, and then it also knocks out um, June, and we see Iroh. This is where we get, like, old perv Iroh, because he does, like, a slow motion, like, no, and then he, like, makes yep. sure to grab June, and then what is what is um Zuko, oh, what does Zuko say to Iroh here? He's like, I didn't Zuko's, even know. Yeah. Oh, you could say it says a lot. Cause- Zuko's like, oh, yeah, I didn't see that you were uh, paralyzed, and he just, uh, like, holds up a finger, like, shh. Don't tell anyone. And this is a little creepy. He's uh, pretending is. he got hit so that he can cop a feel like this is your nasty uncle, not the Uncle Iroh that you've come to know and love. Yeah, because usually we get like old wise Iroh and like we'll see we've seen him be like flirtatious like when they were when they end up um with Suki with the Unagi mm-hmm. and all the walk in on the serpent's pass like we've seen Iroh be flirtatious with people before but not like this. I don't know. I didn't like it. It was very creepy and weird like old yeah. Iroh. Not a good look for him. I agree. Uh, now that all of the opponents lay um, unable to move our team avatar is able to escape as they're flying away. Um, Aang says like, where are we going? They're like, cool. We're going to North pole. And Aang slow plays the fact that he got back Katara's necklace. He's like, Oh, do you want me to, uh, or like, do you want anything that reminds you of home? And she's like kind of slow playing it. And eventually he gives her the necklace and she's very happy to have it back. Yeah. This is smooth on Aang's part, especially coming Mm -hmm. off the heels of last episode where his flirtation skills were like a zero out of 10. This is very smooth and it pays off because Katara, he gets a little smooch from Katara on the cheek. Yeah, but uh, I'm pretty sure he said that Katara says, give this to Zuko when you see him. So now Aang has to kiss Zuko. So I can't <laughs> wait for that to come up in a few episodes. Yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> now, that was a funny delivery from Katara on that line. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you there. Well, that's the episode for you. Uh, overall, uh, not the best episode. I feel like, you know, it lacked a great side character. Um, I felt like the motivation from Aang was lacking. And overall, I felt like it was very slow paced. Uh, June was introduced with, and she's like really cool. The sheer shoes pretty awesome. 
But other than that, I'm not really sure there are many highlights. Zach, any takeaways from this episode? No, nah, I like the Shiryu Shu. I guess June, if we call her a side character, she is an inter- one one of the more yeah, interesting ones we'll fair. see, I guess, in season one. But besides that, no. I just, I'm, I didn't care for Bato. Maybe I'm just a hater. But this is not a good look for Aang. Not even the best look for, like, Sokka and Katara either, to be honest. Like, them just immediately leaving Aang and then going back to him. Like, ah, I don't know. And I felt like the writing was very inconsistent with the characters' motives and personalities that we've established in the 14 episodes prior. So it was not my favorite. That being said, the very intricate fight sequence at the end almost saved the episode for me. Because if it wasn't for that, I would have had it way lower. Like, it might have even been like a two out of four or less, (laughs) Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I think we we can get to the uh, rankings in a bit. Let's get to our listener feedback first. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a reminder, you can always write in avatar at poshowrecaps.com or tweeted us at poshowrecaps. Uh, you can also write on the uh, page that we have up in the RHAP patron group where we d- uh, where we put a page to discuss any questions from the week. We had a few people write in. Uh, Earthbender Aaron wrote in talking about uh, Bado saying that Bado seems so nonplussed about meeting the avatar and two people from his village. The guy has no reaction to anything. Uh, totally agree with him there. One thing that I thought was a great call out from Aaron was he said that the sheer shoe has very good smell considering that Aunt Wu is probably, uh, is in an area that probably still smells super smoky from the volcano that erupted a day ago. So yeah, I thought this was like a great point, uh, that Aaron makes is that even though there is a volcano, the sheer shoe does not lose the scent. Uh, yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, Aaron is very, made a very astute observation there. Because, yeah, this sheer shoe is like a bloodhound, but like on steroids. Like, mm-hmm. if you give it the exact scent, it'll find it no matter what. Through hell and high Easily. water, the sheer shoe will find the scent that you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, we also had Felipe who wrote in and asked, is this Aang's worst look? Zach, do you think this is wor- the worst that Aang's looked in the 15 episodes we've seen? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. This is Aang's worst look by far. It might even be his worst look. I don't know what episodes are coming up, but it might be his worst look of the whole series. I don't think he has a look this bad in like season two or season three. He has some issues with like his avatar, losing the avatar state and all that, but that's not necessarily a bad look. That's just him struggling with like the trials and tribulations of that come with being the avatar almost whereas this was just yeah. very like not good at all i don't know yeah here he seems petty he seems yes. like uh he's very selfish mm-hmm. uh he doesn't really understand katara or sokka's motivations these are these are all things that ang does not struggle with before so i totally think uh this is ang's worst look uh yeah i think felipe put, puts a good question and yeah like totally right uh terrible look for ang yeah, and then did you want to get into Sarah's question as well? Yeah, sure. So Sarah asked, uh, when did you and Zach uh, feel like you achieved manhood, and did it involve an ice-dodging uh, boating expedition? So yeah. I don't think that either of us had ice-dodging <laughs> on the agenda, uh, but what about you, Zach? When did you feel like you achieved manhood? Yeah, I'll try to TLDR this and summarize it a little because I don't want to have a super long-winded story here. But basically, when um, growing up, my parents were divorced when I was 10. Uh, my father was not in my life, so I didn't really have like a father figure. And then when I graduated high school, 
we weren't doing so great. I had to work a lot of odd jobs. I remember I had one warehousing gig just to help out my family at home. And I was at the time, right now I'm like fat, honestly, like I'm 190 pounds, but coming out of grade 12 or whatever, I was a pretty skinny kid. So then I was like probably 140 pounds, like doing a lot of like heavy lifting essentially. And I remember I met up with this Serbian guy. He was like an ex-military person or whatever. And I was working in the warehouse with him and he it was interesting. I remember I had these long like we were carrying like window panes and i was using like my head as leverage i remember this serbian guy he was super jacked He was an older gentleman and he came up to me he's like you're weak but you work hard that's what he said (laughs) and i was like i was like i I actually appreciated that from him honestly so i felt like in that moment i achieved manhood and that guy was wild like he was apparently a mail order husband he fought in a war in serbia yeah he was crazy he was fighting like underground street fights here and stuff he got my goodness that guy was like one of the wildest people I ever met. He got he got mugged and then he beat up the three people who mugged him and then he couldn't call the he didn't know enough English to call the police. So he broke one guy's femur and he's like, You cool, call police for me. No. <laughs> yeah, and, and I believe like I didn't I didn't think he was BSing when he told me all of this because he told it with like a straight face. You know what I mean? I feel like people wow. when they tell you these stories, they'll be like, Oh yeah, I did this and I did that. Like it wasn't bra- braggadocious on his part. And he was a very nice guy. Like I remember I forgot my lunch that day when I first met him and he like provide he gave me like an orange and stuff. He was a super nice guy. One of the best friends I made at that job, actually. I'll leave wow. him nameless, but yeah, he was a cool guy. That is so, crazy. Uh, I did not think that we were going to go to a, a Serbian mail order bride, but that is uh, well, or mail, mail order husband. Yeah, rather, yeah, sorry. yeah. And, the, and the reason I know he's a mail order husband, actually, and this he didn't say this, but I was able to infer it. He told me he had a wife and child back in Serbia, but his 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 wife his wife here came to pick us up in a in a hundred thousand dollar car. She came in a Bentley, and that's what. So she, and it was like an old sixty year old white woman. It kind of looked like George's mom from Seinfeld. That's what. <laughs> She looked like so. I was, I, I was like, found it so weird. And I talked to another coworker, and we kind of like put two and two together. Like, oh, this guy's probably a mail order husband because he was a lot young. He was like in his forties. She was like in her sixties, and she was driving through a Bentley. And he like he didn't even need the money. He just was doing these jobs for like the exercise in a way. So yeah, basically, when working with him and like him giving me that compliment, like that's when I felt like I achieved manhood, quote unquote, in a way. Wow. Well, uh, yeah. what a wild story we just went down. Yeah, Honestly, yeah, yeah. Zach. Uh, uh, you should have this person as a reference on any resume. You're weak, but you work hard. It's a pretty good compliment to get. You know? Yeah, true, true, true. And I tried to really cliff notes that story. I'm looking at the StreamYard timer. I think I did a good job. I kept that like almost under two minutes. So there you go. That's Yeah, my, yeah. Like, uh, I feel like, you know, I have so many more questions, but uh, maybe I'll have to ask them later. Yeah. Uh, I was, I came with a, not a serious example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking that, uh, when I achieved manhood was when I felt sick and, uh, scheduled my own doctor's appointment. Uh, <laughs> even when I was in college, I would ask my mom to schedule a doctor's appointments for me because I didn't want to. I, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. I'm just. <laughs> oh, no, no, no worries. Uh, this funny. is, this is childish, but yeah, yeah. then, you know, eventually I got to the point where I felt comfortable scheduling my own doctor's appointments. And I feel like that's when I really uh, entered adulthood and became uh, became independent is, uh, yeah, my mom no longer calls the doctor for me. I'm no longer scared to talk to uh, uh, like a doctor's assistant. So there you go. I feel like that's, uh, you know, two equally compelling stories. 100%. Sure. Yeah, very much yeah, so. Yeah, for sure. I, I would not uh, disagree with that. <laughs> 
Lydia also wrote in, she said, uh, when Aang was walking around the tent, he grabbed the ceremonial headpiece and put it on his head. Definitely an etiquette faux pas, but I'm more confused because when it hangs on the wall, it isn't clearly headgear. So my question, how often does Aang take things off walls and put them on his head? Does this often go well for him? Yeah, and I, I had this in my notes, actually. And I agree with, um, I found this very, I found this scene very odd when he did it because it was like Aang had already expressed discomfort with the fact that there's animal pelts uh, uh, lying around. Mm, he puts yeah. it on his head, which again, it's inconsistent writing. That's my issue with this episode. You know, like, so I, I, I yeah. thought that was very odd. And how often does Aang do this? Probably a lot, honestly, because Aang is like child. Like, I don't know if he's putting like, I, I, I found it very odd that he was so willing to put this like animal headgear on because of his like pacifist, like vegan nature. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I I would not be surprised if there was like um I don't know an, a painting on the wall. If you would like put take that off and like try to balance it on his head, like that seems more in character mm-hmm. than this ceremonial fur headgear. I kind of th- th- thought that this is something that Uncle Iroh might do as well. Uh, Uncle Iroh sees something, he wants to try it on, put it on his head. I feel like earlier uh, in the season, whenever he's with Admiral Zhao and he's just like poking with all of the um, the weapons that were hanging up and knocked him down. Yeah, like, yeah, he knocked I think, them all down. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I feel like that's something Uncle Iroh would do. So yeah, I, I'd say Aang probably does this in like, I don't know, half the rooms he goes into. Uncle Iroh probably like 75%. That's my guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd agree with all of that. Cool. Well, that's all the listener feedback we have. Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, we love hearing the feedback from you all. Uh, next thing we're going to be doing is our episode rankings. Uh, this episode was not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. Uh, so maybe, Zach, we can start with your ranking. Um, yeah, no, it also was not my favorite. And in fact, like, honestly, thinking about it, I don't know. Like, it's tough because I think actually Fortune Teller was a better episode almost as a whole. But yep. I did really enjoy the fight scene. But you know what? I'm actually after talking about this episode, I'm actually even lower than I was coming in. I'm going to give it a 2.4 out of four. That's the one. I'm going to Yes. Yes. Well, I have to say, Zach, that you might actually be a little bit generous. Uh, the audience was not as high as you, no, even they were giving not. this a two point two seven. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at Lydia's score. She gave it. <laughs> we didn't say what she led with, but this episode was garbage. One point three count. I like that. Like I saw that, it made me chuckle. <laughs> Yeah, we had some people that uh, thought it was good. I think Maria gave it 2.8 cabbages out of four. I guess that's not even that good of an episode if that's True. like the the thing that sticks out as a high high grade. And then uh, what's your score, Jacob? Uh, yeah, my score is even lower than than the audience average. I'm sitting here at a two. I think this is a 50% episode. I, I really was not about it. Um, yeah, I think that there are lots of flaws. The side character is not great. The fight at the end is cool, but, uh, I think that's really the only thing it has going for it. And that will leave this with an average of 2.22. By far. I think repeating forever. Yeah. By far our lowest ranking, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Uh, that is the case. And I feel like, you know, there are brighter days ahead for the episodes. I feel like they get a lot better and I'm excited to see where they go. 
Yeah, I agree, and I think we might be in like the weakest stretch of episodes in a way. Like out of the out of the ones we did, like the Blue Spirit was pretty good, but we got the mm-hmm. Great Divide, not great. Storm, okay, I like the Storm, but and then the Fortune Teller, and now this. So this might be the worst stretch of episodes in the whole show, honestly. Yep. And I think the finale and like the penultimate arc of season one is really good. Like the last three episodes of season one are great. So there are brighter days in the very near future ahead, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. So next week, uh, Zach, we're talking about the episode "The Deserter," and I think that's a pretty good episode. I agree. Uh, I like the deserter. I like Zhang Zhang, and I like how he's a recurring character who will come back. So yeah, I think yeah. the brighter days are ahead. I think. I think. And then this was the last of like the bad stretch. I think. Yeah, and then we end the season with the waterbending master and a great two part finale. So I yes. really think that uh, it is looking up quite quick. But yeah, this is the uh, nadir of the season one. Um, there you go. That is our episode ranking. The next thing we have up is our battle of the battles. This was a battle I really liked. So I'm actually pretty high on this battle. Uh, and so is the audience. The audience gave this battle a ranking of 3.41. Yeah, I think I'm uh, even higher on it, to be honest. I'll give this a 3.75 out of four. The reason I'm right. be a little lower on it is because I like, I kind of like when Katara's involved in these battles. I mm-hmm. like when Katara's like water bending and doing her thing. That's what I, I just saw. It's like the, her and Aang like together using air bending and water bending. So that's the only thing that knocks it down. But it was really, I like this battle had a lot going on, but it didn't feel like there was too much cross cutting or I didn't have whiplash still going between everything. So now nah, I like the battle between Appa and the Shishu, Zuko and Aang. I really like their little duel. So yeah, I, I, I'm pretty high on this 3.75 out of 4. What about you, Jacob? Yeah, I'm I'm right there uh, with you, like right there uh, at a 3.7 on this battle. I think that this is a good battle. It has a lot of things that I like. The well fight is really cool between yeah, I, Zuko I and that. Aang. That was really good. Yeah. I feel like the sheer shoe is an interesting addition. I think that Appa is getting involved in some fun ways. We have Sokka coming up with an inventive plan. We have a little bit of water bending with perfume, but not mm-hmm. as much as I'd like to see. Yeah. We also have that classic uh, fight between Zuko and Aang. This, this has a lot going on, but it has a lot going right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's a 3.7, leaving this at a 3.62. And I will bet anything that you'd like that this episode battle uh, is like going to be so much better relative to the episode, like compared to any other episode. So if you stack up, you know, the best battle in the worst episode, that this will be the biggest gap, I guess. Is what yeah, no, definitely. hundred percent. Like, cause I don't think yeah. there's, I think this might be like, people talked a lot of crap about the great divide. I genuinely enjoyed the great divide, even on a rewatch. Like I think a lot of the issues people have with the great divide is like, ah, it just aired too much. Whereas the, mm. like, the great divide was not a fundamentally flawed episode. It was just kind of like an irrelevant plot to the overall plot of like the whole show. Whereas this was like an actually fundamentally bad episode, especially the A side story with Bato. Like, I don't know. I just had a lot of issues with it. Whereas great divide. I did not. I enjoyed like the yeah. Jang and the Ganjin or whatever they were called. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that you make a good point. You know, the great divide is irrelevant. This episode takes a step back in my opinion. Yes. So I'd rather, yeah. I'd rather have like a bunch of nothing than something that yeah. uh, seems to make no sense. So. Yeah. Like the great divide was a filler episode, but it was enjoyable filler to be honest. And it's not like it was a multi-episode filler arc like i think actual anime are even worse because i'll have like the great it'll be like the great divide but over 10 episodes while mm, whatever yeah. manga they're writing continues yeah. writing the actual plot so yeah 
Zach, I like that uh, whenever we are down on an episode, just like this one, we're still giving it uh, 50 and 60%. Like, we still think the episode is, like, uh, decent, which I think is fun. Like, yeah, you yeah, know, I, we like Avatar so much that even a bad episode episode of Avatar is a good episode. Yeah, and there were, there were good moments in this episode, of course. Like, I did, like, I like the B-side story with um, Zuko, Iroh, and June, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, the last thing that we have to get to this week is our T-Quartet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be doing for the next three weeks a breakdown of the Disney princesses. This week, we have the old princesses, the boring princesses. We have Snow White, Cinderella, Aurora, and Ariel. Um, yeah, I feel like the next era of princesses, so that's Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, and Mulan, are just, like, so much better. Um, <laughs> like, not even close, but... Here we are with the first four. Zach, where do you want to start? I want to start with Ariel, but I, I agree with your point. I think the next quartet that we're going to do is a lot better, a lot more ethnically diverse. Here we got four. Well, not hard. <laughs> True. It like, was the 50s <laughs> and the 60s like, yeah. when they were making all these movies. So I think what was the easiest one for me, and I was telling Jacob in the pre-show, I, this is the quartet where I did the most amount of research on. Because I watched all these movies. When I was a kid, I had all the Disney VHSs. So I've seen every single one of these. But I had to do a lot more research because I didn't remember anything about the Sleeping Beauty or like barely anything about the Cinderella film. So the most obvious one to me was Ariel the Mermaid, even though she lives in the water i had her as my firebender i think she's impulsive she'll stop at nothing to get what she wants if people can recall the little mermaid she's willing to barter with ursula this evil like queen octopus woman Mm -hmm. and she's not has no fear she will stop at nothing to get human legs and meet up with this prince so yeah for that she's brave so for that reason i had her as my firebender what about you jacob yeah i i totally agree she's definitely the firebender of the group Ariel's rebellious. Uh, mm-hmm. She, you know, she's told she needs to, you know, stay a mermaid. She doesn't care. She feels passion. And when she feels that passion, she will stop at nothing to get it. Even giving up her voice to be part of your world. It's really going to be hard for me not to sing uh, these songs, by the <laughs> way, Zach, while we're doing this. Like, I just want to belt part of your world so bad right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ariel's definitely the firebender. I feel like her personality is the most independent. Her curiosity leads her uh, to lots of great situations. Uh, and I feel like her passion really sets her apart here. Uh, and I think she is the most character of any of the four that we're talking about today, but also the most clear firebender. So I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, and um, she was the only one who was like clearly a bending type because everybody else, like, we're going to differ a little bit going forward here. But honestly, for me, it was almost like one firebender and like three nothings, like three people mm-hmm. who have like lack so, like, so much personality that it's tough to shoehorn them into any bending yeah. type. Yeah. So where I do you want to go next, Jacob? Uh, you know, let's go Cinderella first okay. or next up. Uh, I think Cinderella is my earthbender. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like she is, so she lives in like a pretty, uh, normal world other than the fact that she has a bunch of, uh, mice that like follow her around and do her bidding for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like she's like determined. She's hardworking. I feel like this, the traits that come to mind for Cinderella are just a bit more of the sort of earthbender mentality. Um, like she is very strong willed. Obviously she's kind, she's a Disney princess, but I feel like that determination is what makes her, uh, the earthbender in my mind. Uh, Zach, what do you think Cinderella is to you? 
Yeah, for me, I agree with your points about her determination, but for me, that's what kind of made her a waterbender in my eyes, because I looked up the elements of waterbending to see who would fit this the most, and I realized water, what it told me was water is the element of change, and Cinderella is able to, like, will her situation into changing. Of course, she has, like, the fairy godmother and a bunch of stuff helping that out, but she like Katara and even Sokka in Avatar Last Airbender, her hope for, like, the change that is to come never falters in a way so for that reason I had her as my waterbender admittedly it's a stretch but to me I just thought and we'll get into Snow White after this Snow White to me was more of an earthbender than Cinderella was so that's why because for me it was like one of these is water one of these is earth and that left uh, print, um, the Aurora Princess of the Sleeping Beauty as my airbender but so for yeah. me it was like I was debating between water and earth for Snow White and Cinderella for a long time you know, honestly, you said that, uh, one thing that makes Cinderella the earth, or uh, the waterbender is that she thinks, like, you know, one day things will get better. But, uh, Snow White's the one who sings, someday my prince will come. And maybe <laughs> I can just say why I think Snow White is the waterbender. Uh, I feel like she, like, obviously all of these people are caring. They're all Disney princesses, but she is the gentle, affectionate princess. Uh, she, you know, even though there's like lots of real world concerns, uh, you know, there's someone that's trying to hunt her down because of her looks. She still is going to be that really caring figure. Uh, she's able to get all of these seven dwarves and, uh, care for them. And I feel like that's what makes her the waterbender is she does like have this sort of like innocent, uh, like willingness to change that I feel like, uh, maybe a hardened earthbender wouldn't. I feel like an earthbender would not willingly take an apple that's uh, like stranger danger. I feel like you'd be a bit more cautious there. And I feel like that innocence makes her the waterbender for me. Uh, I know we have a bit of a disagreement, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. It, no, and I think your reasoning for having her as a waterbender makes sense. I just think out of these four, the reason she seemed the most earthbender to me is like she's very hardworking and like she endured mm-hmm. being a scullery maid under this evil queen. And like to me, the fact that she was like able to set all these dwarves straight, have them like following her command, like cleaning and cooking and doing all that, basically that's what screamed like earthbender to me. Like she was able to like be rigid, follow this schedule. Like, because even though she's like a princess, like the most beautiful, fairest of them all, or whatever they call her, it's like she's still down to earth. Like, and I don't mean to use, I always say this, like down to earth, but I also mean like she's basically, she's still with. She's still, um, how can I word this? She's still like, she, she's not a princess in a way. She's not like regal. She's still like in the yeah. muck with uh, everybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I guess yeah. that does make some sense here. I think we yeah. might have to ad- agree to disagree. That's um, fair. Like but- I'll have Snow White as the, uh, the waterbender. You can have her as the earthbender and uh, vice versa for Cinderella. I feel like Aurora. Um, other than being the worst Disney princess, uh, for <laughs> sure. If anyone has a defense of her, please do let me know because I've always found that she's just so passive in her storyline and there's really not much going for it. But I feel like the fact that she's tricked into pricking her finger, maybe that curiosity makes her an airbender. It's a stretch, but that's where I'm putting her. There's not yeah. much going for Aurora. Yeah, no, opinion. I had to do a lot of research on Aurora in particular. The Disney Wiki, and there's two. There's a, the Disney Wiki, and there's also the Princess Disney Wiki, which I didn't even know they had their own Wikipedia just for the princesses. So that described her as kind, elegant, graceful, angelic, loving, and gentle. And that, I feel like that describes every single princess here. So I yeah. Not, I, that did not help. 
<laughs> Zach, I feel like they should add one more word, uh, maybe boring. Yeah, and then I was telling Jacob this in the pre-show. I went on some, like, Disney wiki forum from, like, ages ago. And then, because there's the, the there's three fairies that each give Aurora, or um, uh, like, quality. And the last fairy, like, didn't give her one. So then one of the comments was like, oh, what do you guys think, Meriwether, this fairy was going to give Aurora? And then the top comment was, like, a personality. Because she's so boring. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. yeah, she's our airbender. Yes, it's a stretch where she horning her in here i'll readily admit that but yeah i think she's our airbender here well there you go we at least agree on two of the four ariel is a firebender and aurora as the airbender uh cinderella is going to be my earthbender snow white my waterbender for zach he has those flipped nevertheless that is our t quartet this week if we're being honest, the reason why I was so excited to do the Disney princesses are for the next two weeks. I feel like uh, next week we have Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, Mulan, all great characters. Then we have Tiana, Rapunzel, Merida, and Moana, also great characters. I'm excited to get into those uh, as I feel like they have a lot more going for them. Yeah, I agree completely. I'm very excited to jump into the next four. Those are some princesses I'm a lot more familiar with. Pocahontas, I remember singing the Savages, Savages song a bunch as a kid. So I'm excited to get into those four in particular. Perfect. Perfect, Zach. Uh, Cool. That's all that we have this week. Uh, Thanks so much for stopping in. As always, you can write feedback to avatar at poshowrecaps.com. Tweet us at poshowrecaps, and you can smash those five stars. Absolutely smash them. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, uh, on our own feed, on uh, Aang in there, and Avatar, the last Airbender Rewatch podcast. Yeah, our own feed is up. Oh, they can for you all. You guys can always find me on Twitter at ZachMohammed32. We also have our own dedicated feed, postshowrecaps.com slash ATLA. And there you'll find our Apple podcast. You can smash those five-star reviews right there. Where can they find you on Twitter, Jacob? At J.K. Redman, R-E-D-M-O-N. Yeah, and I guess that's all for us. Peace out, everybody. Bye. Uh, see you next time. Bye. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide.